Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two of my very cool and interesting co-hosts. <laughs> Nate Heininger. Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Creature in the Well. Uh, Creature in the Well is a pinball-inspired hack-and-slash, or maybe hack-and-slash-inspired pinball game from a developer called Flight School. And I'm very excited to talk about this one uh, because as listeners to the show who've been around for a while will know, I get really, really excited when pinball mechanics make their way into other types of video games. And uh, there's a few of those that we could talk about from the history of this show. Um, As someone who's known you all your life, Reagan, I mean, one thing I'd like to just say about you is ever since you were a young man, you've played the silver ball. From Soho down to Dryden. I must have played them all. Dryden? Yeah, that, that, isn't, that the, isn't that the lyric? Bright. Bright British. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I just misremembered that, but yeah. Okay. Well, I had no idea what you were saying, so I was on board with it. All right. Yeah, I mean, I apparently have no idea what the who are saying, so there we go. All I'm saying is that Reagan is a mm-hmm. pinball wizard. Mm-hmm. Regular old Fonzarelli. <laughs> Such a supple wrist. <laughs> I will I will definitely counter that by saying I'm actually not that good at actual pinball, but I do find that like pinball video games are like a niche that I've found myself really liking. Um, so I love video pinball of all kinds. And honestly, the more unlike actual pinball tables and the more like a video game with pinball mechanics, the better. So, um, you know, a couple that we've show- covered on this show that I really, really, really liked. Um, I was a huge fan of Yoku's Island Express. We covered it a little while back, and and it's a pinball Metroidvania, um, which if you don't know how those two things could possibly fit together, go back and listen to that episode or go play that game. It rules. Um, and way back even before that, I, I talked, and this was one of those weird situations where I played a game and couldn't get anybody else on the show to play it, so we ended up talking about it um, as part of sort of a grab bag. But at some point on this show, I talked pretty extensively about um, uh, Rollers of the Realm, which is a pinball-based RPG that also totally rules. Um So, you know, pinball making its way into video games is like something I'm super passionate about. It doesn't happen enough. And when it does, I'm like all over it. And so when I saw that this game was coming out, I was very excited. Um, Well, I guess before we dig in too far, somebody describe it who is not just going to say like, hey, I love this stuff. So this game combines an action RPG uh, in which you play as a little robot with a iron pipe with the... I would I would say maybe pinball mechanics is the wrong word here for me. To me, it really feels more like breakout mechanics mm-hmm. with, yeah. with a dash of pinball mechanics. Um, and when I when I say that Reagan has played the silver ball since he was a young man, I mean this. I almost brought me back to when we were really young. And we found one of those Atari mini consoles that was just a dedicated console just for breakout. Mm-hmm. And you and I played a shit ton of that. I don't. Until we found, you know, better video games like the Sega Genesis. But what really, I think, typifies the kind of game this is, is it's it's mainly a Zelda-style action RPG, by which I mean you're traveling from room to room in a large dungeon, and most of those rooms will have either an explicit or a secret goal. And uh, you are completing each room... The strange thing about it is, unlike most action RPGs, there's not really enemies uh, out there in the world for you. Yeah, just uh, one there very is large one, enemy. Exactly. <laughs> there is the creature in the well. There's the this titular enemy. Big, yes. 
Uh, yeah, and they do a lot with the creature. Um, mechanically, what does the creature do? Not much. The can the the creature has hands that will like if you die, throw you out of the well, uh, and will drop fireballs at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally they'll reach in and tweak his traps. So the the implication is that like this dungeon complex is full of all of these. Uh, you know, pinball challenges and challenges essentially, and and that that most of these were set up by the creature specifically to you know delay or or obstruct you. Yeah, let's. I mean, let's talk about like the 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 core mechanic of the game because you're talking about. Uh, I think Zelda is an interesting comparison. It's really any sort of dungeon crawling where you'd enter into a room and either kill all the bad guys or in this case complete a small breakout or pinball style challenge. So, um, you know, a really simple example would be that you just walk in and there's like eight different, what I would call bumpers or, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, like all around. And there'll just be a little floating ball in the middle of the room and your character, you go up and you have basically one primary action, which is swing and it's like hitting the ball with a bat. It goes flying in the general direction that you hit it in. And it's going to bounce. If it hits a bumper, it's going to continue to bounce. Eventually, if it just hits off walls, uh, it'll sort of fade out. Um, but if it hits like pinball, um, like, I don't know, items, you know, the bumpers or the or, or your bat again, your sword again, then it stays alive and it keeps going. Uh, and the rooms are a series of challenges that kind of escalate from how much can you keep the ball going uh, and hitting all the bumpers before either like a timer runs out or you run out of or, or the ball fades away and the whole thing starts over. Uh, some of them are really, really simple. Some of them are incredibly complex that require almost like near perfect uh, maneuvering of your guy and hitting the ball back and forth or oftentimes having multi, you know, multi balls uh flying around the room. That's a pretty good setup for the for the sort of basic gameplay of each room. Before we dive yeah. too far into mechanics, because I have a lot to say about the mechanics of this game, I want to describe it a little more generally first, because I don't want to go too far into the weeds there before we talk about like what yeah. the game looks like and and some other stuff about it. Like Shane mentioned that you're playing as a bot, bot C. Well the 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 world of the game is you know pretty fun, pretty pretty like lightly sketched, but you know it takes place in a town called Mirage, I think, and uh, the town is populated by but a single frog. Yeah, it's beset by this massive sandstorm that apparently has been hovering over the town uh, and and who knows how much else of the world for hundreds of years, and at the center of the town is a massive mountain. And built into the mountain is a massive weather machine. And you are a bot. Apparently, there were many of you in the past, but you are the last remaining bot. It's like uh, Wally. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the bot is named Bot C. And hmm. uh, Bot C is, uh, it sort of comes back alive at the beginning of the game. Apparently, you've been sitting dormant somewhere um, and starts up his presumably programmed quest of trying to go get the weather machine working. Um, and, uh, that, uh, there, there is a, there are some other characters, but very few, I was kind of expecting slightly more, you know, you, uh, there's a shop in the town where you can meet Danielle, the gigantic purple, uh, alligator, I guess, who is oh, a yeah. great character design. Um, and then there's also very large, very large that Danielle and yeah. uh, useful for upgrades. 
Yeah, I, I liked that. There's not a whole lot to do with the shop. Like you're not going in there to buy items exactly. You're mostly just going back there to upgrade your core, which we can talk about when we get to talking about the mechanics. Um, but uh, but it is nice to have somebody to go back and sort of say hi to in between runs. And then also uh, at various points, especially sort of in the hub, of, you know, the sort of center of the mountain, uh, you'll meet Roger T. Frog. Um, Roger is one of a long line of frogs. As you, as you go through the mountain, you'll be see, seeing like evidence of the people who designed and built the machine, um, uh, but who were stopped from activating it by the creature. Uh, and, uh, so Roger is the descendant of the frogs that built the weather machine. And then I guess the final character would be the creature itself. Um, the creature is really, you, you never really see more than the creature's massive bandaged hands, which are like really weird and gnarled and have like rings and bandages on. Um, and to me, also, it looked robotic as well. Like just like the bot C to me, the creature looks like it has maybe screws and nails, but maybe that red is as rings and things to you. Yeah, maybe so. Honestly, I, you don't really get a, a great look at the creature. Um, you see its eyes, which are just giant malevolent eyes and it speaks to you, which I wasn't expecting. I, I loved real chatty dialogue uh, with the creature. You know, every now and then it just sort of pops its head in to say, like, you'll never succeed. I stopped them before and I'll stop them again. Why is the creature trying? Why is the creature living down inside the, the mountain? Why is it trying to stop the weather machine from being built? Totally unclear. But why I, doesn't it just use its giant hands to tear apart this bot? See, instead of making it go through an extremely elaborate series of traps and tests, I don't know. Also don't know. Um, but it kind of doesn't matter. It's just a really, it's nice in terms of like the tone. I mean, like, yeah. I love that title. Creature in the Well is just like. It's menacing. It's very menacing. And the creature Creepy. itself is very menacing. So I was really drawn in by the, the sort of setup. Uh, and I also like the art style. The art style to this is interesting it, it tries to kind of combine this post-apocalyptic um kind of grungy world aesthetic uh with uh and kind of a sci-fi look to most of the spaces that, that have you know things might inside this you're, you're crawling around inside of a giant machine right so everything is is um you know rolling sci-fi doors and you know everything's uh mechanical uh you know but with sand and and nature starting to creep in um and then the visual i guess the the visual style and color of the game almost tries for the same kind of posterized flattened color look that typified games like uh, ape out just trying to imitate like a Saul bass kind of look oh, yeah yeah totally or um or has this kind of um i don't know what's the term that they th used to throw around in the 90s for games that had a like a cartoon filter applied to them, a uh, cell shaded, I guess, cell shaded. Yeah, yeah, it's not exactly cell shaded, but it, it's just an example of like flat color over lots of detail. Yeah, it has a kind of an illustrated look, but without any hard lines. Lots of sort of like broad areas of color without outlines, um, and where it gets detailed. Uh, you'll you'll see a sort of um, spatter print kind of look to it that that right. looks a lot like um, like like something about the style really reminds me a lot of the really excellently illustrated posters that you see for the National Park Service. Like, yeah, 
it has that kind of vibe to it, particularly when you see things like the the mountain itself or some of the the larger vistas. You know, when you get into the actual machine, then you're you're getting these very functional glowing things that you know you need to hit because they're glowing. But like the the sort of when you see landscapes, for example, in this, it just looks like a like a surreal version of a natural national park poster. It's a really cool look. Yeah, I think their use of just like black space is pretty interesting as well. So when you're in the various dungeons, you know, when you're in a main room, it takes up the majority of the screen. But there's uh, every main room is connected by a series of tunnels. So a lot of times you are going through tunnels. And when it is when you're going through these or hallways, I guess would probably be a better way to describe it. But when you're going through a hallway, the majority of the screen is nothing. And it's just these like very isolated um, sort of cramped feeling uh, hallways that you're going through and then it opens up into the bigger pinball style challenges. And, and I think it adds a lot to the to the design aesthetic is that oftentimes it's incredibly simple mm-hmm. and very straightforward. And the only thing that you really have to look at is your little bot and the direction that you need to go. It is very functional. Like it, it does know when to layer on the detail and when to kind of pare it back and stay simple. And that's um, super important in something like, you know, pinball tables are kind of notorious for like having a lot of crap on them, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. that's distracting because what you really need to know is like, okay, what's glowing? What do I need to hit? Um, this game is kind of going to pare back the the detail when it needs to, to kind of just show you, okay, here's where you need to hit. And then it layers on the detail when it's like, okay, here's, here's something for a moment for you to look around. Yeah. I, I felt like this game could have been put out by like super giant as well. Um, I got some like transistor vibes. Uh, you from know, I kind of see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And that might be more the, the like aesthetic of it and not necessarily the color palettes, but the, um, I definitely could have seen this being released like after pyre, you know, mm-hmm. if I have a complaint about this game, and it's like visual design and and stuff like that. It's that um, you have a ton of repetition of 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 the cool visual elements of this game. Mm. Like if you go from one, the dungeon is like I don't know how many parts, like five six parts. There there are eight total Seven, sort of zones, parts. I guess, uh, or, or like yeah. kind of mini dungeons. So yeah. Uh, but they all look the same, except for maybe like a color swap, pretty much. Well, yeah, so, there, there's there's definitely color swapped versions of the same room across multiple dungeons. They do each, I think, have some kind of little quirk that's unique to each area. But yeah, there's definitely, like yeah, there's definitely rooms that repeat um, to the point where I was a little surprised at how many rooms repeat occasionally. Um, I didn't really mind that because sometimes it is like nice to have like a mastery of something where you're like, oh. I've done this room before and I can do it again, but better or faster. And so I, that's true. It's, there are some of those rooms that just pop up. There are a lot of rooms in this that you are extremely optional. And it almost took me a while to realize like you're, you're gated as you, your progress through the dungeons is gated with energy and it gives you far, far more energy than you need by just playing a small percentage of the rooms and you can so you can you can skip tons of these rooms, um, but the ones that are really skippable are the kind that you'll be playing again and again. There'll be like a room where, you know, there's just a ton of paddles. You know, the part of the appeal of the kind of uh, pinball mechanics is trying the same uh, thing. You know, the same trying trying the ball at the same toys over and over again, and the thrill of when you get it just perfect. And like in in breakout style games, that's you know maybe get the ball back behind the uh, 
the paddles and it bounces around and clears a shit ton of them and you rack up a bunch of points or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And talking about the energy, I mean, there are rooms that are like not even a challenge. It's just like walk in, here's a whole bunch of bumpers that are going to give you energy. And if you need it, you can just spend like two minutes breaking them all just so that you get more energy. I, I also think that um, some of the repeating of rooms too, I know we're going to dig into deeper on mechanics, but you gain different abilities essentially mm-hmm. uh, as you progress through the game. And I do think it's like a little bit of an opportunity to say like, so I don't have to go back. If I wanted to try one of the earlier challenges with one of the new abilities, I don't have to go back into one of the previous dungeons, which you can do even once you beat a challenge, it sort of like resets and you can do it again. Um, I don't have to go back. I can just wait. I'm probably going to get a similar challenge in front of me. And I can try it with this new ability as well. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go ahead and talk a little more in depth about the mechanics because so before I go too far, I want to say this is a hard game. This is probably like one of the hardest games that I've completed in a while. Um, it doesn't seem hard at the start, you know, n- neither does breakout, like hit the hit the thing with the balls. Um, but there, there are some really difficult it's challenges tough. in this. And like, if you look up reviews from other outlets, like the, probably the first thing that you'll see in a lot of them is like, this game was harder than I expected. And like, it really is very, very yes. hard, particularly towards the end. Um, but in a way that I found really rewarding once I kind of got over the humps of that. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit about the way that it kind of uses its mechanics, because I think it's really unique and cool. Um, yeah. The, the game starts with two. You, you start with two swords, right? Or two two things you can hit with. You've got what it calls your uh, your strike weapon and your charge weapon. So the strike weapon is just for hitting balls, right? It just hits a ball and it goes in whatever direction you are pointing with your analog stick when you hit with that, with that weapon. That's one button. And then there's another button for your charge weapon. Your charge weapon is more about grabbing balls and charging them up. So, yeah, I know, sorry. <laughs> so, um... So we're just going to have a we're just going to have a blanket uh, like I need a blanket indulgence from everyone here that I'm going to be using the word balls a lot and I'm not making innuendos. <laughs> OK, just everyone get it out now. We're going to say the word balls probably balls. a few hundred more times in this yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So um, so a, a big part of of, uh, you know, when you when you're hitting a bumper, you're, what you're doing actually is you're getting a ball, charging it up with your charge weapon, bouncing it back at the bumper. And that energy goes into or comes out of the thing that you hit. Um, and so there's uh, there's a. The, the fact that you have these two separate actions, kind of grabbing balls with your sword and then hitting them out with your other sword. The big thing that surprised me about it is that like when you're using your charge weapon, you can hit it once and it kind of like hits the balls and they kind of hover in front of you for a second um, before or, you, know, you either hit them or they sort of drift away. Um, yeah. Or you can keep hitting it or hold it down and it'll just kind of do that. And you sort of swing your charge weapon around to grab balls for as long as you want. And then you hit them with the, with the strike weapon. And it also, one thing I really like about the charge weapon is that it has a, a, like a pretty, it's like, has a vacuum Mm -hmm. amount of space. You know, you, you would expect like, you don't have to be perfect with it, I guess is what I'm saying. You, you swing it out in front of you at a wider angle than I was originally expecting. Uh, So when you've got a lot of uh, balls, just like, flying around you you don't have to be perfect at grabbing them out of the air you just have to be kind of at their general area and doing it and you'll suck them in and you can sort of store them in front of you to re-aim and in my experience 
a lot of the challenges was that balance of I need to have some of these um, bouncing around and just continuing to go. And then I need to be out there sort of grabbing and redirecting the uh, what is probably at this point for some of the challenges, like four or five, six different balls just bouncing around and I'm grabbing them and redirecting them constantly so that they're going at the bumper and not just bouncing off the walls and eventually like dissipating. Exactly. Yeah. And um, what I think gets really interesting about this is that it uses those two very simple mechanics in a lot of games will have like sort of primary mechanics, right? The, you know, you can charge balls, you can hit balls, but then there's often these sort of secondary mechanics that kind of emerge out of the combination of those existing mechanics. And so here, like the, the, um, you know, your other, your other sort of verbs are, you've got a dash that you can do. Yep. Um, and of course, obviously you can walk around. Um, and, uh, there's there's a sort of interesting interaction between those three mechanics, your your dash, your charge, and your hit. Um, when you're charging, you can't usually walk. And that's good because you want to be able to, you, you need, in a game like this, you need to be able to plant your feet and use the analog stick to point where you want to hit without having to walk in the direction that you're about to hit the balls because that would be too hard to manage. Um but if you are, uh, but there are times where you might want to do that. So there's different sort of tricks you have to learn that feel like they're almost sort of accidents of the mechanics in a way, but they're very deliberately designed and the game requires you to get good with them. So for example, if you want to, if you are holding down the charge weapon button uh, and you're pointing in a direction, you are standing still and pointing and you know, you get a little arrow showing you the direction you're about to hit your ball. If you're tapping the charge weapon button, uh, then you can kind of walk while charging. Uh, and it means that it's a little harder to be accurate about where you're about to hit unless you decide to plant your feet, but you can kind of do a slow walk while charging. And then sort of further than that, you can also dash while you're charging. So uh, you can't walk while charging, but you can dash. And so you can do this kind of dance of like charge, dash, charge, dash, charge, dash. So this in particular... The, you compared this in in one of our conversations earlier to Hyperlight Drifter, and mm-hmm. I don't really think that that comparison holds up in a lot of ways. But this um, is better. I like this a lot better than Hyperlight oh, Drifter. Definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. We'll um, agree to disagree. I also thought the, it was like Hyperlight Drifter, but go ahead. But Shane. the dashing is where it is a lot like Hyperlight Drifter. Yeah the 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 gameplay in Hyperlight Drifter was really about having a very solid grasp of exactly how far your dash is and using the dash to um, to maneuver while simultaneously dealing with a large number of kind of aggressive enemies. And this doesn't necessarily have enemies. Uh, it yeah. has fireballs and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, bumpers that blow up in a giant circle and destroy you. And it has... Uh, laser beams that can blast you and drain your health and things like that. But there's no real enemies. And so that's one of the big places it's, I would say, different from something like HLD. Uh, it, nice abbreviation. and uh, One of my favorites of all time. Something I want to talk about, and you were talking earlier about, Reagan, the, the challenge of this game. And to me, there's sort of two big buckets of challenge. It's either the room is going to be, is going to require uh, basically near perfect execution. And that's usually because of timers or hitting the ball at a specific angle to sort of hit a chain of events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one example is there is, it's really early on, but you have to hit a ball exactly right so that it hits off 
one bumper at a perfect angle to go hit another bumper, which reveals another bumper. It has to hit that and it goes in this sort of square pattern that if you didn't hit it at the exact right angle to start with, it would go off to uh, to miss and it starts over the whole challenge. So the challenge is like, can I hit this ball? I think it's actually two balls, but you, you know, you charge and bring them together. I have to hit them at exactly the right angle. And so that their ricochet follows a perfect pattern to complete the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other times where it's, uh, there's going to be like a timer on the bumpers that you have to hit them enough to clear them before the timer runs down. And that's a lot of the challenge too, is that you have to sort of manage the chaos of the balls bouncing around the room to where they're actually hitting the bumpers that their timer is going to run out first. So you can clear those and there's no real danger necessarily. You're just going to, you have to do it exactly right or you run out of time and the, the whole room resets. The other type of challenge uh, is because you do have a health bar in this game. Mm-hmm. I think they call it ener- energy bar. And there's, as Shane was just saying, there's all sorts of things that will drain your energy. Not like straight up bad guys, but uh, sometimes the bumpers themselves shoot a laser beam. So you have to like dodge that and hit it with the ball. So often these rooms that are very laser or bad guy focused don't have as many timers, but you're constantly maneuvering your character to not get hurt. And you're either going to like beat it or you're going to die and have to start over. And then when the game gets really challenging is when it has both of those. It has both yeah, timers. Which is very often just the, the boss areas. The boss areas yeah. are, are usually like real final exams of all yeah. of the different hazards are happening at once. Yeah, there's like a timer and there's lasers, you know, so you have to not only do you have to do perfect execution on the pinball challenge, but you also have to do perfect execution of the like action RPG platform, not platformer, but like action RPG uh, hack and slash thing where you're dodging enemies, you're getting out of the way, you're setting yourself up for, uh, for like the future shot. Um, And and it just, it's a lot to manage at one time um, because you also can get in the way of your own like balls, you know, like they are bouncing around and you might have shot one at a different time and it bounces back and hits you and it makes you kind of stutter or if it was hit with a hard enough degree or it bounced off a certain thing that will charge it up, you can actually be damaged by the ball that you hit, right? So there's so much going on on the screen at different times. Uh, and that's really where it gets really, really challenging. Yeah, and I mentioned that sort of like these mechanics that kind of build out of the very simple mechanics. Um, the kind of final one that like becomes the thing you have to you have to really internalize is that there's a there's a certain kind of rhythm that you can use when using a combination of the dash and the charge where you can essentially dash at full speed around while still charging. It's a very hard thing to figure out how to do. Um, I only at first felt like I only did it by accident or by button mashing. And then eventually, as I kind of got better at the game, I found myself able to like feel like I could fly across the the thing very precisely while also charging and shooting balls at very, you know, very precisely. It, 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 it sort of really builds on itself with these mechanics that like do have a lot of room for you to sort of get a sort of a finesse with them that initially isn't apparent. Yeah, to the point where you have to be moving around like that just in order to catch the balls that are flying around. So you might have to dodge around through dangerous, uh, through a dangerous you know, level uh, where fireballs are flying at you, dashing around a bunch of fireballs, uh, kiting them a little bit, 
while still trying just trying to line up a catch of one of your balls in order to in order to fire it off and hit a target. So so that kind of that kind of stuff is really cool. For me, it really really helped that I was able to reassign buttons in mm. this game. Yeah, let's talk about the controls because I think the first thing that I would say we we didn't mention that this game is on Nintendo Switch and it's also on Xbox One and uh, Windows Ten. And uh, if you have an Xbox One or are on a PC, it's part of the Game Pass subscription, which is very nice because if you are on that, you can just download this and play it right away without paying anything extra apart from your subscription fee. Uh, On the Nintendo Switch, I think it's $15. Um, And I played it on Switch. And initially, like everything I, I usually play on Switch, I tried to play this in handheld mode. And I found I basically couldn't. Um, and I think, you know, you, you might find, I don't know if everyone would have the same reaction to this, but for me, um, the game required a kind of precision and kind of like really like, you know, button mashing, not quite mashing, but like, you know, that feeling where you're like really squeezing the heck out of your controller. Um, I found that to me, the biggest issue is you're really going to have to be really precise with your timing of three different buttons, dash charge and uh and smash yeah and uh if you're not able to really on it on something like a joy con in portable mode like my my thumb covers the entire like set of all the tiny joy con buttons and it's hard for me to be like really reliably timing back and forth between for example b and x uh, constantly uh, on something like a Joy-Con. Yeah. So I moved, uh, I moved the uh, all the paddle uh, related actions onto the triggers, so that I only am using the B button, uh, and then I'm charging with uh, left trigger and smashing with right trigger, and that got me playing in portable mode. Mm. Uh, and I did that pretty early on. I, I really recommend that for people that find the controls are a little iffy. Yeah, that definitely helps for me. Another. Uh, and I mean, I, I actually, I just moved one of those to one of the triggers. I kept like, um, kept my actions on like B and Y where they were. Um, but the, uh, the other problem that I ran into on the switch in portable mode is that, you know, like Nate was mentioning, there's a lot of times where you have to have like extraordinarily precise aim. And, um, that's kind of hard on the, like, for, at least for me, um, I have a, a hard time being extremely precise with the, with the uh, analog sticks on the. Uh, switch joy cons yeah so i found like uh, i had a much 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 easier time uh either with the um the pro controller or i have one of those 8 bit do dongles and i paired a, a dualshock 4 with the switch and played uh on you know uh, on my tv and both of those were like enormously easier to manage for me like just having a bigger chunkier controller with a with an uh, analog stick that i just feel a little more precise with yeah, you know, it's interesting. The more we've been talking about this element of it, especially when it gets more difficult, one of the like game genres that uh, I think it actually gets pretty close to is like a dual stick shooter. Mm, uh, I can see that just, for sure. I extremely staggered throughout the entire game. I wished that I could have assigned like the smash attack. What is the term that he uses for that? The uh, strike, I think. Strike. I wished I could have assigned the strike to the right stick. Mm. Uh, mm. so that I could have, uh, or, or maybe the charge to the right stick. I don't know, but like, um, I, I really wanted to be able, and this is, this is a way in which it's kind of a lot like Hyperlight Drifter, uh, where you, you know, that's definitely not a dual stick shooter. Like your facing direction really matters. And it's true in this game, your facing direction really matters. I just wished I had a way to change my facing direction by, um, 
by like using the right stick. Yeah, the thing about this is like it really is designed in this way where you you are facing in the direction that you're moving, and if you want to be able to like aim your your uh, you know your 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 ball in full 360 degrees, you essentially have to stop moving for a second, um, and sometimes that needing to stop moving is very dangerous. Um, so yeah, that's where like there were those sort of uh, those sort of second level mechanics where you can kind of. Uh, be able to move around very quickly and that that kind of alleviated that but like i can see what you mean i i think it would be a very different game if you made this sort of like dual stick experience yeah um part of it is really just sort of the like walking around and then setting up and then firing off your shots um but i definitely know what you mean like it is sometimes a little frustrating um let's talk about some of the different tools that you collect because the other big part of this obviously you've got your different uh, you know, you've got your your uh, your strike tools and your charge tools. The strike tools are your sort of sword for throwing or batting uh, balls around, and then the charge tools are for sort of collecting or drawing in balls. Um, but as you play through the game, uh, there's going to be rooms where there are these sort of uh, big circular um, charge things that you know you need to complete a challenge in order to activate. And many times the reward for activating those or for completing the room is just you get a lot more energy. But sometimes they unlock a secret path. And those secret paths usually lead to either a new weapon for you to use or an old core, which is an upgrade system that we can talk about a little later. Um, And you get a number of different upgrades to or like different versions of your tools that you can use throughout the game. And... By the end of the game, you probably will need to find yourself making a lot of switches back and forth depending on the the sort of challenge that you're facing. So, for example, the very final boss, I think I used every single tool I had at least once, with the exception of some of them that are kind of useless, kind of throw-offs, like a, a frying pan. I don't think I used that one. Um, but, like, there's, there's some pretty in- interesting tools. Um, the first one that I found was the was the dual blades which kind of adds a laser sight to your uh, to your charge. And um, if I had one, I mean, I have I have a number of complaints about this game. Uh, I loved it, but I have a number of complaints. <laughs> and what, the first one that I ran across was like, why does this have to be just this one specific weapon? I really wished that I had the sort of laser sight that lets you see where your ball is going to go with a little more precision um, all of the time. And there were well, times, sure, because that's yeah. way easier if you yeah. know exactly where the ball's going to go. Oh, it's a huge, but it's like there were challenges later in the game where it's like, oh, I really, I have to be using the um, like the the chain blade here, for example, or maybe the like the fan blade. But I really wish I could see where I was going to be hitting with a little more precision, um, particularly on the Switch Joy Cons. Like, dang, the, the 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 dual blades with their like little laser sight makes a massive difference. Personally, I would have preferred a more sort of like upgrade path kind of thing here where maybe you've got a sword with, say, two or three slots on it and you can equip multiple features to it um, rather than just having each weapon be its own thing with one unique feature that you can use and not none of the others at that same time. Um, but like, yeah, any any like favorite uh, weapons that you guys ran across? Well, the fan blade is very, very helpful, which lets you take the energy from the ball and give yourself a little bit of healing. Uh, And there were times that I would basically be in the middle of a fight and be able to 
charge up a ball, hit it off of something that's going to charge it, and then bring it right back and catch it and give myself a little bit of healing to stay alive for longer. Yeah, that was huge for me in the boss battles. The the fan blade, um, a lot of the times the... the Never found it. Well, it's very important if you can go back and look for it. It's actually, um, it's pretty early, but it's, it's the first one I found. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's something else about this. It's easy to miss some of these upgrades. Um, and yeah, they're all... That was a weird thing about the game. It doesn't give you any of the upgrades based on um, actually progressing and completing the dungeons. It gives them all to you based on finding secrets. Yeah. Which is cool. Uh, and I like the idea that, uh, you know, I might beat this game with a different set of items than than you found. Um, but but all, honestly, you kind need of annoying. most of them in order to beat the game would be my yeah. Well. I think it's not like they, it says secret revealed, but I really don't think that's right because it, you get them by beating a room that happens to unlock a like unlock a uh, treasure or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right? But with so many of the rooms being optional, um, right. I'm sure there are rooms that I skipped. But yeah. Anyway, I, think, I will tell you but, my favorite weapons that I found. Yeah. I, I just think they do that to incentivize like they, yes, you don't have to do every room, Yeah, but like you should. But you know? the secrets, the secrets are always those rooms with the big central kind of things, right? The big central kind of round things. And those also tend to be the most interesting or challenging, um, like challenges in the game. There's very few of them that repeat. And, uh, so I think it's just, it's the way game's way of telling you like these rooms and you'll see them on the map. You can tell if you've completed them or not. So you know whether you need to go back and try one, these types of rooms are important to do. Um, the other types of rooms are less important and you can skip them if you want, but those rooms, I would say, try to never skip them. Or if you do skip them, go back to them later because there's a probably like one in five chance on any one of those rooms. There's some sort of important secret that it unlocks. The weapons that I wound up using a lot, um, some I found early and some I found as I started to go back and try and check off some of those rooms that I had managed to, to get past. Um, but one of the, you, you brought up Reagan earlier, like engaging with mechanics that aren't like explained or tutorialized. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a weapon that I think is exactly an, an example of that. And that is the twig. And it was one of my favorite weapons. Did anybody else use the twig? I use it very little. Yeah. So um, all the description you get on the twig is a branch from some random bush could be used <laughs> as a charge weapon, though it has no power limiter. Okay. So what's a power limiter? I don't know. But what the twig does is normally the charge weapons let you grab three balls. And if you use a charge weapon to catch a more than that third ball, one of the balls that you have will kind of disappear in a puff of smoke. And that's not the case for the twig. The twig can hold, I think, up to seven balls. Hmm. Uh, but once nice. you get more than that third ball, uh, it starts to drain your health. Um, and it can charge the balls uh, and the charging of the balls. By the way, the balls all do. Have we talked about how much of the damage the balls do and how it's related to the cores? No, we haven't talked about that yet. But I mean, the, the, the quick version is that you can upgrade your core throughout the game. And the core is what allows you to add charge to the balls. Also in hidden secret rooms, you find old cores. Yeah. And um, and so the higher your your uh, your core level, which I think maxes out at 10, but I might be wrong. Um, the higher your core level, basically the more damage you're doing once you fully charge a ball and hit it at something. Yeah. So, you know, having lots of really having lots of charged balls on the screen 
is good for a lot of reasons. And in a lot of situations where um, maybe you feel like you're having trouble juggling the balls uh, or um, you are trying to um, like swing just wildly and have your balls go all over the place. Sorry, I know we said, I know, I know I said we're not. Okay, please continue. (laughs) And this is true in a lot of boss battles where you want your balls all over the screen. You just want, you just want balls everywhere because there's lots of like fireballs and then you've got your balls and your balls will destroy the fireballs. Um, Shout out to watch out for fireballs. But uh, (laughs) the... Yeah, so so uh, I've, I've been trying. I've been trying to bait Reagan into making a balls joke this entire I, time. I, I made yeah, a, I made tell. a vow. I uh, made a vow. <laughs> but the but it's true. Like uh, you know that that was what's really cool about the the twig is you can you can have um, like more than twice the the number of balls you normally have on screen, uh, and it doesn't hurt you if you catch just three. So you could spam these seven balls out, and then. Um, just being do do catch and catch and swat uh, to like keep them going. Yeah, and there are a lot of boss battles that you can just uh, cruise through if you have just seven balls out on the screen, like knocking into everything mm. randomly all over the place. See, health is such so, a precious resource. Uh, like, there's so many. Um, uh, and and then this might also be because the, I found the fan blade pretty late and had no easy way to recover health for most of it. Um, but the uh, health was such a precious resource for me that I found that too much of a risk. So I didn't use that, that tool very often. Um, I used a lot oh. of, uh, a combo of the, uh, chain blade, which is a charge weapon that has a pretty long reach. You can grab balls from farther away and also has a, in the description, it says it provides sure footing, which basically means if you get hit with a ball, that's at high velocity, there's a lot of these sort of ball cannons that shoot balls out at you and kind of stagger you. Um, but if you're using the chain blade, it doesn't do that. Uh, you can catch those without, without hmm. stagger. Um, and then Did I anybody also else find the magnets. Oh yeah. The magnet was also good, but I found that it was kind of tricky because the balls would sometimes orbit you with a, with the magnet. So the, the, the chain blade was better for me. It, it had almost as much yeah. reach as the magnet, but less of the downside. But then I'd also combine that a lot with the thunder staff, which is a strike tool that, um, that adds a kind of an electric arcing to the balls. And that was super important in a lot of the like later boss battles because they have a lot of these sort of clusters of very small targets rather than large targets to hit. Um, and if you turn, you know, if you're using the thunder weapon, then you could hit one of them and some of that damage would arc to the nearby ones. And it just meant that you didn't have to be quite as precise. You could, uh, you didn't have to hit like 10 very small targets. You could hit them as if they were big targets and it would kind of cover the whole area. And it also is kind of a damage multiplier. Yeah, it's 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 arcing that damage off. That I also should say one of the best looking weapons in the game is this thunder staff. Oh yeah, it's it just cool. Is cool looking. Purple. It's like a big purple thing with like a double pointy head on the top of it. It's a cool looking item. Yeah, one of my favorite pieces of design in this game looks better than the robot. Uh, just a couple other quick tools I want to mention just because they are important to the gameplay in some way or other. Um, one of the earliest strike tools you'll find is the focus hammer, which slows down time while you're aiming, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, that's another one where like, I really, really would have liked the option to like take that upgrade and add it to something else and combine it with others. But it's always like it's it's a pretty basic 
strike tool, but you get that little extra moment to aim, which is very helpful. Um, there's a, an axe that you can use that splits balls, which is a kind of way of uh, creating multi-balls. So if you have, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in a room where there's lots and lots and lots of targets and you just need to spam lots of balls to, to hit things all over the place and you don't need to be precise, um, using the axe is very good. And then um, Shane mentioned the magnetic fork, which is a kind of a, uh, it was a charge weapon that draws balls in from farther away than any of the other tools, um, which I found useful in certain situations, but kind of dangerous in others, because sometimes what that would mean would be I'd be trying to grab a ball and the magnet would kind of bring it in in a kind of an arc that would mean that it would end up actually kind of like arcing into something I didn't want it to hit. Um, but it was a sometimes very useful. There were some puzzles that were like explicitly designed for that, where you couldn't reach the balls um, without something like that. So um, yeah, lots of options. And the, the a big part of the gameplay, particularly late in the game, is choosing a pair of those two that sort of synergizes for the particular challenge that you're you're trying to beat. So Reagan, earlier you were talking about health and health being a, you know, a finite and valuable resource. And and I agree entirely, but I do think um, this game was very forgiving in how it handles health, but also kind of frustrating in how it handles health. I'm okay. And, you, you have me very curious because I didn't find anything about this game felt forgiving to me. This is a very difficult game. <laughs> Go ahead. The only thing that I think that is forgiving about it is once you've completed a challenge, once you've completed a room, it's done. Mm. You don't have to do it again. Yeah, that's you true. can, but like I think there's a world out there where this game comes out and you're expected to like chain together successful rooms, uh, and it doesn't. If you complete a challenge, it's unlocked, it's done, and if you die, you can run right through it. And yeah, you don't have yeah. To what you're talking about there is essentially the bosses. The only part of the game that really does operate that way is the boss rushes, and also the yeah. very final dungeon. Um, kind of leading up to the bosses, which is also sort of operates that way. You have to kind of complete it yeah. in one run. But otherwise, you can like, you can kind of keep trying them. And if you don't succeed, if you die or just like the timer runs out, you can just keep going and keep trying it. And then once you've completed it, it's done. Uh, the very unforgiving thing in my opinion about health, uh, one is, well, besides it being like often very challenging and very easy to die because there's all sorts of things that are going to hurt and kill you. Uh, and there's very little way to get your health back is that when you do die, uh, you, you get kicked out of the dungeon entirely and not just back to the front door, but like all the way back to the town where you get thrown out with like one health and you land on the outside of the town and you have to run all the way back into sort of the machine, go back to the, uh, specific dungeon that you've selected, go through it. And run all the way through it to get back to the room just to try it again. And I think it works kind of like thematically. Though again, I don't understand why the mich- the creature doesn't just like cut you in half. Uh, <laughs> but but for the most part, I just found myself like I gotta run all the way back there. And it's also the kind of game where like the dash move makes you run slightly faster, but it's like a staggered dash. Mm. So it's it's reminds me of like you know I want I want to talk about that because it's not very obvious and it never mentions it, but. So you can do the dash, which gives you a little boost, right? But if you do the dash and then you continue to hold the dash button down, uh, then after about two seconds of holding it down, it starts increasing your your run speed. I the, had no idea. Yeah, to the so point where you get the, to, to be yeah. very fast. Like you can you can run you can run through the dungeon at like pretty pretty high speeds. Oh uh, well, that's good to know because I was doing like the stupid 
Ocarina of Time link rolling across the entire uh, field, you know, it's just like dash. While. Yeah, dash, 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 dash. And that always kind of drives me crazy. So mm-hmm. that's good to know. Yeah. It, I wish that it would tell you that. I wish it uh, would too. It, and I also honestly wish it wouldn't do the like toss you the whole way out of the dungeon thing. There should be checkpoints. Well, and why does it kick you out at zero or at one health? Because there's a health pool right at the beginning of the machine. So what it means is every time you die, you have to you have to run back to the beginning of the machine, go sit in this pool of white goo for like How? 15 seconds. Stop. Stop the podcast. I have never played a video game where you're a robot who heals by getting in a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> it makes true. no sense. Yeah, that's a good point. So it just it like I think maybe thematically it's supposed to feel like exhausting that you've been that you lost. But the challenge of this game is so high that you're losing at least for me you're losing a lot so i'm constantly having to be kicked out you know what i was doing is like hitting dash like a thousand times to get back to the room go sit in that pool for 15 seconds to heal up and then go back into the dungeon and work your way back to the room that you started yeah and i and i and i just like i know that's kind of how games always used to work. It's like you kind of have to start everything over, but because you don't actually do anything, you're no, there's no new challenge. There's no, you're just literally every time you have to start over, just walk all run, the way back. Yeah. You have to walk all the way back. You have to sit in the healing pool and then go in. It's like, at least kick me back at full health. So I don't have to just like stop and sit in this thing for 10 seconds and then go forward. It, it, it became more of a nuisance than it was like, I don't know what it was. I, I don't know what it was trying to add. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like if this were like a roguelike there. or something, I would feel like that yeah. made sense. Like if this was being randomized or something, and you're, you know, we were doing like a sure in the wanderer kind of thing or something here. But yeah, but here it, it is just like everything stays unlocked, and you it's just about walking back to where you were. I agree that I don't think that's a good design decision for this game. I got used to it. Um, sure. And there are some ways that like the game will provide you some shortcuts. So for one, if you do get to a boss room it opens up a, a portal that is at the beginning of the area. So you don't have to walk yes. all the way to the boss room. If you die in the room just before the boss room, you're going to have to walk all the way you back. You die in real life. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> but like you're going to have to walk all the way back. But if you die in the boss room or one of the boss rooms, then you get a portal to get you right back there. So that's- Well, you still have to walk there. out of the well, yeah. go to the machine, sit in the healing pool, go to the tunnel, and then go through the portal, and then you get to try again. Yes. And okay, I, uh, one quick thing, though. Did you notice that there's a door? I don't know exactly at what point it opens, but it was pretty early in the game. There's a door on one of the buildings right next to where the creature tosses you out, and no. it goes straight back into the machine room where you can heal. What? Yeah. Son of a guy. Yeah, so, so, so that'll save you so, at least 15, 20 seconds. If you're- <laughs> there is so many things. Like, there's so much stuff on this game. I, I also have really, really enjoyed this the gameplay of this game. But there's so many things that I wish this game would just tell you a little bit. I constantly, and it, for those of you who are in our Discord, which we haven't talked about, you've seen me like, I don't know where to go next. And then as soon as I see it, it's like super obvious. But like, I just, I wish there was a little bit more pushing in the direction of like, understanding the 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 roadmap of this game where am i supposed to go how do i get there faster uh all of that would be great because yeah, it things doesn't like the teach things like the like the running is like super not obvious and i discovered it by accident after already having completed like two or three dungeons yeah why is that obscured why you know and i trust me like there's a lot of value in like exploration and like figuring out game mechanics and yeah. i think they do a really good job of that in the actual pinball 
uh, environments and like learning how the bumpers work. That's all fine. Yeah, like making the sort of like dodge or like a charge dash, a kind of a discovery that emerges yeah. from the the base mechanics is great. It's a really totally. cool thing. But like yeah. running does not need to be a discovery <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I really, really like once I was in the dungeons, I was like, this game is awesome. And, and I'm and I'm like, it's challenging and I and it's satisfying and it's really, really good. It was like everything leading up to you getting into those was like super obscure to me and uh, kind of frustrating at times. Yeah. Just minorly. Yeah, you know? no, I, so. I'm totally with you. Like there are things about this game that like I loved this game, but very few games have made me as angry as some of the parts of this game made me. Like there are there are certain boss challenges that just about made me throw my switch against the wall. Like really, <laughs> really wild stuff that just like, I don't see how this is ever going to be possible. And then I'd, I'd figure out, oh, actually, if I, you know, if I'm careful about my movement in this particular way, if I use this particular set of weapons, et cetera, then I can get past this seemingly impossible thing. And that feels like a triumph. That's great. But like, yeah, there's so many things about this game that just straight up made me mad. There, Most of them, I felt like were redeemed in some way by becoming a sort of a triumph once you overcame them. But there are these little things like the running being like an obscure mechanic. Like, why is that? Or, or like, frankly, the whole process of getting back to where you died when you die yeah. is like, I, I don't have an, I don't really have a defense for that. I think that is something that like, I, I don't like that. I don't like that about it. And I would love to have seen it done a little differently here. Um, or for or for spawning you the thing that bugged me the most isn't so much the running back it's the it's the fact that I have to run back to the hot tub and sit motionless in it for about three seconds before I can actually run back to the dungeon yeah if you would just take that out and have me like regenerate health when I go back into the dungeon it would have saved me so much frustration in this it's game. yeah it's a small thing but it is one of those things like when you just died by the hair of your teeth and you want to go try that same thing again and see if you can do it without screwing up whatever tiny thing you screwed up and ended up dying um yeah. like any little delay feels like an eternity even if it is very fast well and you're going to die you know possibly hundreds of times so all yeah, of there's, that there's statistics you know, in this game i will uh, i will tell you how many die uh, times i died yeah if my uh, switch and part of, you know, part of our, while you're pulling that up, part of our whole thing is like games that respect your time. Right. And so uh, while there were just little things that I wish that they would have done to just like get me back into the core the of the fun game. part. Yeah, yeah. The fun part. So for me, you know? deaths in this game, 106. And that means that okay. 106 times I got thrown out of the dungeon completely and had to make the whole walk back. Um, and that's like it's a it's a short walk, but that's 106 times in a game that I think took me around five or six hours to complete. Yeah, until probably 25 of your minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a like... pretty significant <laughs> amount of time. Um, and I should also say about the the amount of time this game takes to complete, like it's going to vary a lot based on like how uh, how much and how fast you're able to sort of internalize those like unspoken mechanics that this game kind of has. Um, and I, I kind of like that about it. Um, I would say that it's, you know, it's probably going to be an under 10 hour game for most folks. Uh, for whatever reason, the Switch's like time played clock on this for me, I think got f screwed up by the fact that I left it in sleep mode and it wasn't correctly accounting for that. So it says I played this game for 72 hours. Uh, definitely not. Uh, but like, I think this game probably is in about the like five to 10 hour range for people and how exactly long it takes you is going to vary a lot depending on just sort of like how, how, how comfortable you're able to get with some of the more advanced mechanics. Yeah. 
Is anybody else still bugged by the fact that the switch doesn't give you good times on this? Because oh. my my creature in the will well still says first played four days ago, which means I haven't hit whatever the threshold is for it to actually tell me how long I've played. Well, yeah, no, like if you go into the settings on the switch, yeah, same thing for me. It just says like first played eight days ago. And it, uh, you know, for games that I haven't played in a while, it'll say you've played five or more hours or something like that. And it's like, well, that's not like, I, I know we're kind of like the weirdos who like, we do a game. We show. care about how long we're spending we, in these we things. Really we really care. Like it's useful lives. information for us. Yeah. But like, yeah, the, the, the PS4 will just tell you like steam will just tell you. And there's always problems with these systems. Like you leave things suspended or something. And it, uh, and it's always ticking that clock. But like when this, when the game can't tell how long it's been running and the, the system can't tell you how long it's been running. It is a little frustrating. Uh, I agree. Show. Yeah. It's not something that probably will bug most folks, but it's a it bugs yeah. me. So, I I really really loved this game and I don't think this game is going to be for everybody. Like I think that if you if the idea of an ultra challenging pinball, uh like an ultra challenging precision ball swatter uh doesn't appeal to you, then maybe this won't be your thing. But for me, this felt like it was made for me. Like I I really really enjoyed this game. I got real mad at it and then I just had this what felt like a real personal triumph beating the final boss. And I mean, I loved it. I, I just really, really like this game. And uh, I know that uh, this this developer, uh, Flight School, uh, mostly has done VR games in the past, and I have played nothing else that they have put together. So I am, you know, going to be keeping an eye on what these guys do because they've clearly kind of got me right. I I loved this game. Might not be for everybody, um, but it really, really worked for me. Yeah. I love a I love a challenging game, and yeah. um, there's some frustrations with this one. Some of it just built off of how challenging it is, but overall, uh, it's it's a really it's a complete experience and one that I don't think you can find uh, between the art, the music, and the gameplay. There's nothing else. Yes, yeah, super that's unique. Really I've like I've never played anything like it, and that's always something to look for. And when when I've never played anything like something, and it just sort of speaks to me on some sort of mechanical level, like that's that's a gift. I was very excited to to play this. Um, so I definitely recommend it. And I particularly recommend it if you've got that uh, like uh, Microsoft Game Pass. Uh, it's it's on those platforms and you can just download it and give it a try and see if it's for you. Uh, and if not, check out, they've got a trailer that they call the Creature in the Well 101 trailer where they uh, they kind of show you all of the, how the game works with some voiceover by one of the lead developers kind of explaining it. So if you're, you know, if you need to need the visual, that's pretty helpful too. Um, yeah, tutorials like that are great. They should be in the game. Yeah. So before we uh, before we wrap up, uh, we have been skipping for the last little while our what's making us happy this week segment because we've been having some weird uh, episodes and time has been a factor and everything. But I wanted to bring it back. Uh, So, Nate, what's making you happy this week? Yeah. So I just stumbled upon um, recommended to me a, a band that I think our listeners will enjoy. It is called Magic Sword. And let me tell you, they are going to be the backing track of the D&D campaign that I'm going to be running tonight. Um, sort of 
somewhere between like metal and electronic uh, music that fits right in with video game style. I mean, they're called Magic Sword, you know? Uh, it's like sort of video gamey, very heavy, very intense. Uh, I've just started getting into it, um, so really enjoying it so far. Uh, so definitely recommend this band called Magic Sword. They're on Spotify. Awesome, I have to check that out. Um, uh, so what's I'm going to cheat and do two um, because there's two things that I definitely wanted to mention that I've just been so excited about. Um, one is just that, you know, listeners to this show who've been around for a while probably know that I'm a big fan of Steven Universe, the, uh, the cartoon from Cartoon Network. Um, and, you know, probably not for everybody, but I think it's just one of the best shows ever produced for children and works great for adults too. It's a great adventure with some really fun characters and the the art's always been great. And I just really, really liked it a lot. And uh, we, we, we've been frankly blessed by how Cartoon Network has let this show mature and given it time to sort of tell its story on its own terms. It's had five seasons. All five seasons were great. The final season, the season five, which may not technically be the fifth season. Again, the show's not officially canceled, but they allowed the show to have what really felt like a true, uh, you know, not just season, but like true finale to the show where they, where it really wrapped up with a bow on it. Um, and just like a really great emotional and plot climax. And then they came back with Steven Universe, the movie. And I was like, well, there, there was such a nice, tight little bow on the previous, like at the end of the, the season. Why are they doing this additional thing? And what it was was like this really perfect uh, sort of tribute to the show and the fans. It's uh, So if you like Steven Universe, the, the new Steven Universe movie is so fantastic. It's you know, it, it ages the characters up a few years. So it's sort of a where are they now for people kind of a couple of years after the end of the show. He's got a neck. He's got a neck now. It's true. Um, so all the characters, you get a kind of a, a picture like Steven is now uh, 16 instead of 14. And it's just not not just that. It's also a great story, like great music. It's it's a full, not every episode of the show had songs, but this has a lot of songs. And I don't know. I was just so, felt so blessed that we got it um, because like that show is so much more like of an emotional journey than most kids shows. And it's just amazing that we even got the kind of arcs that we got with it. I I love that show. So anyway, sorry for for gushing about that. If you don't like Steven Universe or you think I'm a big loser, that's fine too. Um, And the other thing I was going to say is uh, Control is really good. Uh, That game, I know if you listen to other game podcasts, a lot of them are probably already talking about Control. If you want a a good description of it, maybe go listen to the Waypoints podcast from, I don't know, maybe a week ago. Um, but I'm playing that now and holy crap, that game is really good. If you like, um, like just every little corner of that game is full of like details that any one of them could be like a fun little weird short story or like a copy pasta or like creepy weird stuff. Um, but it's also like a really good third person shooter with fun powers to play with. Like I, I'm, I've not really played a lot of remedy games in the past. I've never played Alan Wake, but now I kind of want to, cause like these guys, this game rules. Um, so I'm really, really into it. If you, if you like third person shooters with like lore that is interesting and just like super, super weird looking environments that are like incredibly cool. Um, go check out control. It's awesome. Um, Shane, what is making you happy this week? What's making me happy this week? Um, I kind of, uh, I'm going to have to go back by a week. Um, but we didn't do what's making us happy on previous episodes. So, uh, I'm going to still count it. Cool. Um, 
Reagan, you have been into tiki stuff. Oh yeah. For a long time, you know, and that's when you know someone who's into tiki stuff, it's great. They'll make you funny cocktails when you go to their house. Uh, you always know you can get them something as a, as a gift. Cause you know, there's a million weird cups with weird faces on them. <laughs> and I'm always excited to get um, them. Yes. Uh, but oddly, you and I had never actually, I don't believe, been to a tiki bar. Yeah, we've been to like, uh, we've been to Under the week. Volcano, which is not a very good, it's like not a tiki bar. It's got some like, yeah, yeah that, that place. And I don't even, two, I don't two even out of ten. remember. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even think we, it's been years since you and I had even been to that place. And that's not a real tiki bar. So I'm not going to count that. Yeah. But um, we did when you came through town, we went to Lay Low, yeah, uh, a Houston tiki bar, and I'm starting to get why you why you dig tiki bars. So this this place, um, how would you describe Lay Low? Well, I mean, it's it's a classic tiki bar, but I guess what you'd say is like it's a it's a relatively small strip mall location. From the outside, it looks pretty plain, but you go inside, and it's a you know dimly and warmly lit room full of uh, full of like Polynesian pop. Uh, ephemera and accoutrement like just every inch of every wall is covered with albums and signs and old menus and weird like you know taxidermy puffer fish and you know all sorts of nautical themed and tiki themed stuff um, and they had a nice bar you could sit at with a knowledgeable staff who were pouring the classics and had a couple of uh, a couple of twists up their sleeve too yeah and and, and the place you know, uh, the the vibe is is perfectly on point. It's exactly what you'd want and expect from a tiki bar. You know, the 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 bar is all made out of uh, you know, rattan and has the look of a uh of a, like a beach A-frame and you know, there's tiki guys everywhere. Uh and th- like you said, the staff was really good. Like I I got a chance to figure out what kind of tiki drinks would be the ones I would order. And uh, I can't wait until um, you have moved down here to Houston and we can go back again because I think we're going to want to put on our Aloha shirts and, and show up there every now and then. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Um, that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Lalo has a deal where if you come in in an in a Aloha shirt, you get the happy hour prices all the time. And I'm like, well, Dude, duh, I'm going to do that when every we, time. <laughs> when we finally launch ShortCon and it's in Houston, oh, yeah. our, we're going to are all wearing Aloha shirts and going to this place. Oh yeah. This place rules. Yeah. Get to Houston and bring your worst shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, though, Shane, that's a, that's a great one. I, that also made me very happy last week. I, I love getting to go to a new tiki bar I've never been to. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I like to go back again and again and, and see what they do well. Like it, one of the nice things about tiki places is that the cocktails are complicated enough that there's a lot of variation between different places that, that mix them. But there are certain standbys where you can have the same thing in a bunch of different places and kind of say like, Hmm, this place does a good Mai Tai or this place doesn't do a good Mai Tai, but they do a damn good zombie, that kind of thing. So I love that about it. All right. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to the short game. Uh, This show is supported by listeners like you uh, on Patreon and uh, for as little as a dollar a month, which honestly makes a big difference to us. This is a small show and uh, even small amounts in the Patreon really excite us and help us grow the kinds of games that we're able to cover. Um, It really helps. And if you have a dollar a month to spare, we would love to see you on our Patreon and even more, we'd love to see you in our Discord. Patrons at any level, a dollar a month or more, uh, and we certainly don't want to tell you to only only do a dollar a month, but all of our patrons get access to 
our Discord, which is where we talk about the games that we're playing, uh, plan episodes for the show, and uh, we chat about games after the shows have completed. So if you have something you want to say about Creature in the Well, uh, maybe you need some tips, or maybe you just want to tell us what, uh, how much you hate this game because it's too hard and unfair, then we're going to have a channel where you can do that. Uh, join us on the Discord. It's a great place. We ch- uh, hang out there and chat pretty much all the time. Uh, You can also find our show on the web at www.theshortgame.net. You'll find a contact form there where you can let us know what you think and what you think we should try and play. Um, And you can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game. You can also find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nate STL. I also wanted to throw out to you, you know, on the Discord, we have a couple other channels of games that we played in the past that we're still keeping the conversation going, or even games that we're not even going to cover that we're keeping the conversation going. So if you listen to our Slay the Spire episode mm. and you've been playing that, hop into the channel because there are some of us still playing that game. And there's a, <laughs> there's a uh, fourth character coming out uh, at some point in the near future, and we've been talking about that. Uh, really exciting stuff. So um, yeah, get in there. It's yeah, fun. get in there. And uh, Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. And listeners, thank you once again so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.